Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast, where we break down some of the biggest stories in fashion from the last week. I'm fashion reporter Danny Parisi, joined once again by my fellow fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Zofia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much again. It's great to be back on. Yeah, it's great to have you. Jill is away for the Glossy Beauty Summit right now, so Sophia's taking her spot. So today we're going to be talking about a couple things. Um, Nike's situation with Travis Scott, some of the collaborations between the two have been put on pause. We'll talk about Wholesale Marketplace Fair raising a huge amount of money and um, about those digital wholesale marketplaces in general. We'll talk about Bottega Veneta uh, finally having a replacement for Daniel Lee in the form of Mathieu Blasey. And then we'll also talk a bit about the rise of Shein, the enormous fast fashion company that's become very prominent in the last couple of years. But to start, let's talk a little bit about the Nike Travis Scott situation. I think Jill and I mentioned this very briefly last week, sort of in a speculative way, but uh, it's, it's official now that Nike has paused their collaborations with Travis Scott. They do, they do regular like series of, of Travis Scott collaborations under his label, Cactus Jack. Understandably, there was that horrible, horrible situation at the Astro World concert. Um, and so for, for now, the Travis Scott collaborations with Nike are on pause. Sophia, I, like I said, we sort of expected this would happen. Um, but what did you think seeing that? I mean, I, I think it's a smart move. Just like you kind of have to when it's so, it's like such a huge bad news stories. But, but what do you think of that decision? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely is the right response. And W Magazine have also delayed the launch of its magazine cover featuring um, the rapper and Kylie Jenner. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's going to be a, a kind of chain of delays for every single product featuring him. And it might actually also extend to the Jenner slash Kardashian family because they were also there at the concert and they posted videos from it and did not delete it until way way too late um at the moment i think there's 10 people who have died at the um concert and there's been a lawsuit that has been brought forward uh for travis um on behalf of 125 astro world victims including Jeez. the family of one man so and what's interesting is also that um the drake has also been named in the lawsuit so mm. it's going to be impacting pretty much everyone who was there on stage Right. Um, as well as people in the crowds. Well, something that I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and it's not its not even just that Travis Scott is like the big name that just happened to be associated with the accident. It's like his concert, you know, it's the Astroworld is founded by him. Um, so yeah. he's hes not just like uh, through a sad coincidence associated with the tragedy. He was, he's literally legally liable, I, I believe, for that. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of rappers um, have sort of at, at the very least a tangential relationship to the fashion world, but Travis Scott is quite active. Um, Cactus Jack is a pretty big label that that reverse swoosh on the, the Travis Scott Jordans is very huge. I mean, that one of the speakers at the Glossy Fashion Summit in October was wearing them on stage. They're, they're very popular. Um, I, I wonder if this is just a temporary, just put on pause until the bad press goes away, or if it's like a legitimate maybe permanent threat to his place in the fashion industry or like pop culture in general. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times when something like this happens, the celebrity in question would love for it to just sort of blow over. But uh, I mean, like you said, 10 people died. I don't think this is something that's just going to blow over. 
definitely. And also like Ariana Grande, when the thing happened in Manchester, she responded to it ridiculously quickly. She went to the events, she fundraised for it so far. Travis Scott has not done anything to suggest that there would be any kind of action there. So that might also contribute to how he's going to be incorporated into other things by by brands and by fashion labels. There was that that very surface level like gesture towards like, oh, I'll give everybody a month of free therapy from like some very scammy looking online therapy. I was like, oh yeah, a month, a month of therapy, that should do it. That should cover it. Second story is um, digital wholesale marketplace by the name of Fair. You may have heard of it. Uh, they connect brands with with retailers, usually small brands and small retailers. Sort of a like digital version of the trade show. You know, you can show your your bulk products to big buyers from retailers, uh, and they just do you know a million transactions a day. There, there. It's small transactions, but a lot of them. Um, on Tuesday, they announced a funding round of $400 million, which is just frankly a ridiculous amount of money. They're worth more than $12 billion now. And I think these sorts of marketplaces like New Order or Jor or whatever, just kind of, they're not very public facing. So we don't realize just how huge they are and how much business they're doing. I think Jor does like $23 billion in, in merchandise moved every year. I'm not saying they make that much, but that's how much like is sold through them every year. So they're, they're just sort of these behind the scenes marketplaces that are, are huge for small boutiques, smaller brands, like they're the, the gross merchandise volume uh, that they move is just ridiculous. What did you think of that, Sophia? Have you heard anything about some of these places like New Order or Fair or anything like that? Honestly, I mean, I hadn't heard of Fair before, but I had heard of Jaw, and definitely I've been kind of keeping my eye on the whole wholesale aspect of it, just considering the size of everything. Um, I mean, with Fair alone, it's got more than 2 million independent retailers across North America and Europe, because they've only just launched six months ago across 15 markets in Europe and the United Kingdom as well. So they're looking at expanding all over the world. And I think at the moment they're doing like 2.5 trillion in revenue. So it's actually more than both Walmart and Amazon combined. So it just gives you a combination of, of like the scale of, of what those multi-store brands basically offer and what whole scale looks at in terms of the, their future as well. Um, I think as well, what's interesting is is how local is going to be growing in importance. Um, most of these places will be catering to local brands that are looking to kind of expand their um, their marketplace as well. So I think that will be one of those key things that is grown during the pandemic and is just going to keep getting bigger. Yeah, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of what I've heard from some people about influencer marketing and how the, you know there's been a lot of focus on micro-influencers who don't have the same scale maybe as like a, a Jenner or an Addison Ray or something, but they have a really high engagement with the, the smaller audience that they do have. I feel kind of the same with these smaller local brands or boutiques where if you live in the neighborhood and you live near it and you know it, um, you know, some really cool, fancy high-end boutique in LA or something um, or London, you that that individual store might not make as much money, but it's just, it's got a, a, a loyalty from its local audience. And then if you're somebody like Jor and you work with 2 million of those kinds of boutiques, I mean, that adds up to an insane amount of money. I, I do think the wholesale and direct consumer changes in the last year have been really interesting. I think there's been trending towards a lot of 
of direct-to-consumer in the last decade. Um, and yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic, I think there was even more focus on direct-to-consumer because retailers were canceling orders and stuff. But now in the last year or so, the pandemic's still going on. I feel like I've heard more smaller, newer, startup-y kind of brands saying that wholesale is not something to completely ignore. And there is still like a lot of money to that you're leaving on the table there if you're only doing direct-to-consumer. But it's also kind of a hard thing to do without getting screwed over a little bit. So I don't mm. know. I, I'm not a brand, so I, I've never, you know, sold bulk orders through fair or whatever. But it seems <laughs> like there's a lot of confidence from the investors and that something like that can be useful. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're exactly right. You've got that local aspect of it that's just going to keep growing. Even brands, bigger brands are now investing in certain areas where, you know, that kind of local engagement is very high. So both with influencers and, you know, small brands that, you know, could benefit from a wholesale marketplace like FAIR will definitely just keep growing. Yeah. And and one last thing I'll say on that is there must be something in the water for investors right now because, uh, just uh, maybe a month or two ago, Viore, that, that DTC activewear brand, also got $400 million in funding from SoftBank. And I remember being like just shocked by that amount of money. I get, I get emails all the time from brands saying they've raised money and it's like $10 million, $20 million, $50 million, and then just, just get $400 million. I don't know. So maybe investors are feeling a little more confident now. I don't know what it is, but a lot of money floating around out there. Money, money, money. So last week on the show, Jill and I talked about Daniel Lee uh, abruptly leaving Bottega Veneta. Kind of came out of nowhere, not a lot of information given, no information on where he was going or who was replacing him. This week, Bottega announced that they do have a replacement whose name is Mathieu Blasi. Um, but before we get into talking about him and his uh, potential impact on Bottega, we should address some of the, the rumors that have emerged since Daniel Lee leaving about why he left. Uh, now, again, these are only rumors. I have not heard anything personally to attest to this, but um, just think we should address them. So earlier this week, Louis uh, Pisano, who's a freelance fashion writer, he's contributed to Vogue, said on Twitter that he had heard from a source who was very close to the matter that Daniel Lee was fired for using a racial slur in a meeting. This was the, the gist of that rumor was backed up by Mario Abad, who's a fashion editor at Paper Magazine, who said he had heard about some scandal involving Daniel Lee um, that Caring was worried about uh, and worried that it would leak to the press. So they fired him just to get ahead of it. Caring denied the, the specific allegations um, from Louis Pisano, but they did not give any more details specifically as to their decision to fire him. So as it stands, like that's the the, the information that's out there. Um, but, uh, you know, as if, if more comes out, if we find out the truth there, then I'm sure we will talk about it on the show again, but just wanted to acknowledge that that's, uh, that's what's out there right now. So very quickly, Matthew Blazy, he is uh, unsurprisingly is also a former disciple of Phoebe Philo, um, which was part of Daniel Lee's like whole appeal was that he worked under Phoebe and brought sort of that Phoebe style to Bottega. Um, but Matthew has also worked at Margiela. He worked for Raph Simmons. Um, I think it's it's notable that when when Phoebe left Celine and they installed Hedy Slimane instead of her, he just went in the total opposite direction for that brand. And I think a lot of people who love Phoebe uh, fled and ended up 
flocking to Bottega because Daniel Lee was sort of continuing that style. It's interesting that Bottega is not doing a Celine and they're putting in somebody who's basically Daniel Lee 2.0. You know, he's very similar style. What are your thoughts on that, Sophia? Did you, do you think that that's uh, an intentional move on their part to just kind of find somebody with a similar style, similar aesthetic and keep going? Because the course they've been on has been very successful. So what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm sure that Mathieu kind of knows the um, DNA of the brand very well. He knows the, um, you know, Daniel Lee's signature from all of his previous collaborations as well. So I think that it's just a dependency issue. Maybe they're going to be looking for someone a little bit more innovative in a couple of years. But for now, I think that they're very excited to see what Mathieu would bring to the brand. Obviously, what's interesting was that with Daniel, it was kind of um, phrased as a collaboration between the brand and himself. So I think that there was definitely some issues there that needed to be worked out and maybe with someone who's you know been second place let's say or protege for for such a long time there is going to be more trust um for them to kind of keep working along the directions that the brand wants to take and that caring wants to take as well yeah he's definitely more of an unproven uh, no I, I shouldn't say unproven because he uh, has worked at a lot of different brands and, and done great work, but more of a behind the scenes kind of guy. You know, I don't think he has the name recognition as somebody like Daniel Lee, but um, from what I've yeah. heard, I mean, I think he's well-respected. Like his he, at Margiela, he designed sort of anonymously, which is what Margiela does, but he did great work there. Um, so I, I don't want to say unproven. That's not right. He's proven, but sort of um, little known compared to uh, a big name designer like Daniel Lee or Kim Jones or something. But yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I, I'm a big fan of Bottega um, from afar, obviously. I cannot afford anything there, but um, but I, I really like what they've done in the last couple of years um, with Daniel. So I'm excited to see what, what happens next. Yeah, me too. Sophia, I will let you take the lead on on discussing this. We're going to talk a little bit about, she, is it Sheehan? Is that right? Sheehan. Yes, it Sheehan. is. Yeah, okay, Sheehan. That's what I thought. Go ahead. Um, right. So there was a report um, published this week by Private Eye showing that there's a lack of accountability from the brand um, for work conditions in the Guangzhou area in China, where most of the garments are produced. Um, so according to the investigation that the... Um, that Private did over quite, uh, I think it's like over a couple of months. Um, she and suppliers are working 75 hour weeks. So they're clocking in three shifts a day with usually only one day off a month when Chinese law dictates that you need to have one day off a week. Um, so it violates local labor laws that dictate eight hour working days and a total 40 hour work week. So this comes as no shock to anyone who um, has been seeing stuff about Sheen in the last couple of months um, as the worker rights allegations have been obfuscated numerously um, with very little kind of data being available to anyone outside of China and even within there hasn't really been anything um, substantial even though lots of people want to find out what's going on behind the scenes. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I I think you're you're right to say not exactly surprising. Um, I I sometimes find it a little distasteful when somebody when you know some horrible news story comes out and people are like, oh, you didn't know that already. But to be fair, I mean, their stuff is so ridiculously cheap and there's so much of it and it comes out every single day. I'm like, there's no way there's not some abuse going on somewhere along the line. You know, like if something is, uh, I, I feel like especially in apparel, um, people don't realize how much it really costs to make clothing, even even simple clothing. If it's cheap and easy and fast, it's because somebody else is is paying for it in lower wages or you know long work hours or something like that. So it's not like I said, it, it's not always I think the nicest thing to say that it's a, uh, not a surprise, but it's it's honestly not a surprise. This is why there's so much <laughs> there's so much backlash against fast fashion in general. It's like you you can't release six thousand new products a week or whatever, and and not be hurting somebody somewhere. You know that's impossible. Yeah, exactly. And Shein has been in trouble before for you know doing loads of things with religious iconography that's appeared on their garments because of the fact that they use um, AI to kind of create garments based on social media searches and things like that. It has meant that they have tripped up quite a few times because there's no oversight from actual people who are able to dictate whether something is offensive or not before they roll it out. Um, thing is that they have so many products that it doesn't really matter, but there's so many more things that um, I could say about Xi'an and its kind of strategy and social media and how it hooks children with casino things. And yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot more in there and I'd love to kind of get into it a little bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a problem with scale of of anything. Like when you get big enough that you're, again, releasing like hundreds of new products a week or a month or something, um, You even the largest company is going to have quality control problems. And whether mm. that's quality of the working conditions or quality of the product itself or quality of the idea of the product, like if, if a company was releasing like, you know, one new thing a week, somebody probably would have guessed that you shouldn't put a swastika on a gold chain and sell it. Um, <laughs> but because they were selling, they're selling so much stuff and so much new stuff constantly, it's like stuff like that just goes right by, you know? Um, and, yeah. and you know, to take it outside of fashion, I feel like that's been an issue with like a lot of social media, the content moderation on Facebook or whatever is so bad mm -hmm. because there's like a billion things posted on Facebook every day. So they can't keep up with all that stuff. Um, But Shein doesn't even really have that excuse because they're, they, you don't have to sell, like, you don't have to design 500 new new pairs of leggings a week. You know, that's a choice you're making. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a massive, massive company. Uh, if you go on TikTok, you can see, you know, thousands of videos of, of young people doing Shein hauls and, you know, showing off a bunch of stuff. So it's a huge yeah. company and, you know, you don't get that huge that quickly without hurting somebody along the way. No, exactly. And that next generation of consumers, Gen Z, um, who are buying stuff off TikTok is going to be exactly that generation who might be able to change something about these production standards. But as you can see, so many of these Shein hauls are so popular that it doesn't seem to be having much of an effect, even with all of these labor rights allegations. So it's, again, that, that dichotomy between, you know, Do Gen Z care enough about the planet? Is there enough about it out there that maybe they're not reading it or maybe they're not as aware of it as they should be? 
Um, anyway, that's a topic for another day, but definitely yes. one to get into next time. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that's all the time we have, Zofia. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you'll be on again in the coming weeks. Um, but thank you to you and thank you to everybody listening. And we're going to link that um, Private Eye uh, investigation um, with the podcast so that uh, our listeners can read it for themselves. But thank you again, Zofia. Brilliant. Yeah, it was great to be on. Thank you so much, Danny.